You're listening to WJMF Radio, the beat of Bryant. He jerks one to left field. Let's see if he can keep it fair for a home run. L.J. Hose will go into the truck. Home run number two for the Astros. And L.J., who hit one last year in 170 at-bats, gets his second Major League homer to make it 5 to nothing. What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Brian Costa, and today I am coming to you guys with a very special episode today. Joining me on the show today is a former Major League Baseball outfielder who spent a total of four years in the show with the Baltimore Oriole and Houston Astros organizations. At the time of his debut, he was ranked as the number five prospect in the Orioles farm system. During the course of his MLB career, he got to play alongside some of the game's brightest stars, including Jose Altuve, George Springer, and J.D. Martinez. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show the one, the only, Mr. L.J. Hose. L.J., welcome to the show. Um, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. I'm really psyched to have you on the show today. Uh, you know, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm just trying to relax a little bit. Um, I actually had a long day of work, so uh, just trying to get off a little bit, um, eat a little dinner. Watch the little, little League World Series before I get back and get to bed. Get ready for camp tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll definitely touch on uh, on your work and some of the things you're doing now in a little bit. Uh, obviously, you know, I love watching the Little League World Series, watching those guys go out there and do it. It's crazy what some of these 12-year-olds are able to do, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, it's actually the age group around where I coach with one of our teams at St. James and um, it's crazy seeing some of these kids, but then you go out to a uh, perfect game and it's like a whole nother level, a step above this. You know, these fences are 200, what, 20 feet, 225 feet. You go to a perfect game event, you know, they're 265, 270 foot for 12 year olds. And you no, know, their bases are a little bit further back. They're 70 foot bases. Um, pitching in miles a little bit further back. The guys probably lead. So the game's a little bit different. Um, for those 12 year olds, um, but just watching where the overall 12 year old baseball player is from the time I came up, um, it's a lot different. I mean, obviously, you had a couple guys who were, you know, obviously different, whoever had special talents, but now I think the overall play baseball player with the instruction, with the information that is out there, um, I think a lot of these kids have became a lot better, absolutely. So, you know, for yourself, uh, at an early age, uh, you know, kind of getting into the game of baseball and really coming up, uh, how did you really get that love uh, for the game, you know, starting off? I know, you know, you're able to get to all these, you know, great heights of making it to the MLB, but when did that love for the game really first start for you? Like some of these kids? Um, I started playing as a young, young kid, um, probably about three, four years old. My dad used to have me working out, playing in the backyard and stuff like that, but I love playing basketball. Um, I'm from the Washington DC area. So um, basketball is really, really big in our area. Um, and then when I was growing up, Georgetown was, um, really, really good. Um, so I was a big Allen Iverson fan. So growing up, I saw somebody that was six foot. So, and that was a point guard. So, you know, gave me a little bit of hope, but once I got about 10, 11, 12 years old, I started realizing, you know, I had a special time in baseball and, you know, I, I realized that baseball could take me a long way. And I saw that a lot of the kids in my age, um, some that were better than me, um, at a younger age, um, I was starting to catch them and then get better than them. I started to pass them. So, um, it started to become more and more reality, like, okay, this is something I can start doing for a long time. Yeah. I mean, for 
you know, for yourself going through those early stages, who would be someone that you'd say was, you know, really impactful, uh, you know, on getting you to really love the game and stuff like that really early. Uh, my dad, for sure. Um, I yeah. wouldn't be playing baseball if it wasn't for him. Um, you know, he got me my first bat, first glove, first ball. Um, he tells stories about how he used to play softball, like men's league softball, stuff like that. And I'd be the bat boy at three, four years old. And he'd give me strict instructions like, look, when the ball goes in play, you know, wait till the ball's dead, go grab the bat, go back, sit down, whatever the case may be, but do it every single time. And, you know, me just being around the game at a young age, I kind of started to develop a love for it. I used to go to Orioles games all the time and stuff like that. And my dad would tell you, I used to watch the actually all nine innings, but then I'd go to a football game, like a Redskins game or something like that, and I'd fall asleep. And he, he'd tell you, then right then and there, like he knew something was different um, yeah. with me with baseball. Yeah. When it came to you, you know, playing professionally or, or, not, or just like playing in general and, you know, like you're actually trying to make those next strides to the next level. When was that, you know, some people have a specific moment of saying like, you know, I was 10 and I, you know, hit this ball out of, out of this park at, you know, just so far. And it made a lot, made a lot of people's eyes go up and say, Hey, this kid actually might have something. Or, you know, there was certain moments that some people recognize. What was the moment where, where, you know, it could have been your dad or even you recognized, uh, okay, I might actually have a shot here. Um, my dad will tell you. Um, you know, it was in the store when I was a kid. Um, he has his instance of when it happened. Um, I was in the store as a kid, and this random stranger was like, "Man, you don't see baby's eyes wide open like that. That kid's gonna be special one day." So that's what he—that's his story. My story is probably around seven, eight, nine years old. Um. Again, I was playing um, around. I was playing around in my area, PG County, where I grew up. And then my yeah. dad, um, he worked in Montgomery County, actually in Bethesda. So he would take me out to Bethesda and Montgomery County, start playing against other uh, kids, against a better brand of baseball. So once I started playing out there, um, I started coming back around where I grew up playing, and I started dominating. And then I was like, all right, let me keep working, keep working, keep working. And then I went back out to Montgomery County and was playing against these kids that. One, I'm sitting on the bench behind, but now it's like, all right, I'm as good or if not better than you. Um, and it's just a, something of confidence. So I would say around like 19 years old, it was like really like just to see the improvement of my game and saw how, how much the hard work it paid off. Um, that's when I started realizing, all right, you know, if you keep working like this, like, yo, you can, you can be something really, 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 really special one day. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you were talking about, uh, you know, some kids having a, you know, maybe having to catch up, up to some kids when you were younger. Uh, you know, what was one thing that you really worked on, you know, at, at a young age that, you know, you think some other kids should try to, you know, replicate to, you know, improve their game? I mean, the biggest thing is like, um, I tell people all the time, people are like, oh man, did you get hurt a lot all the time? I was like, no, nah, I've never got hurt. Um, I started doing stuff at a young age, like six, seven years old, doing push-ups, um, sit up stuff like that, working on like just little playing tag with my dad, um, playing tag with my cousin, stuff like that. Um, you know, doing a certain agility stuff outside, just certain things you might not even think that is like really agility, it's just like you know, like playing tag, duck, duck, goose, just eluding people, moving, doing certain things, certain movements, you know, hopping on one foot, you know, certain, certain stuff like that. It teaches you how to be athletic. So, now, once I got to, you know, 10, 11 years old, now I'm starting to implement, you know, some type of weightlifting program. It's now I'm adapting faster. And it's now it's starting to kick into my body a lot faster than whereas a lot of these kids now are, I mean, a lot of those kids, 
when our river coming up, um, they were starting to look at like 13, 14 years old. Now you see kids, they're starting to look there like nine, 10, but they're doing controlled stuff. They're doing controlled stuff to have help with their athleticism. And I think that that's very, very important. Um, just teaching kids how to be athletes. I think so now um, all sports have became so one dimensional focused on that one main sport that kids lose out on the athletic ability and the athletic goals and athletic things that other sports teach these kids. I mean, playing soccer, teaching you get footwork, playing basketball, get lateral quickness, footwork, jumping ability, vertical leap, all that type of stuff. Mental thinking, um, you know, even baseball, football, that type of stuff. It's all things that these, these sports tie into. But again, these, these sports now are just so individualized and specialized that these kids aren't able to play other things that and will help them become better athletes. No, I can definitely uh, understand that. I mean, you know, whether it's just playing simple yard games like that and kind of hanging out, I think that, you know, it, you know, kids that will stick to these one sports, they, you know, typically are kind of only like working maybe a certain set of muscle groups. And then you go out and you play a different sport. And, you know, maybe that after that first day of practice, you come home and you end up going like, oh, I'm a little sore. Like, what's going on? And it's like, well, you're working new muscles for the first time in a while. And, you know, you're kind of getting at it. I think uh, Wayne Gretzky once said, I, you know, obviously, you know, the greatest hockey player ever, you know, he ended up saying, yeah, I would, you know, go all out and during hockey season as a kid. But once the season was over, I would hang up the skates and I'd go pick up my baseball stuff and I'd go play that spring. And, you know, for seeing that of an athlete, you know, that I feel like was probably very impactful for him. So I think being able to, you know, you know, play multiple sports, be active in different areas is, you know, really important. I don't think enough kids realize that. Yeah, and then it also gives the kids mental breaks. Um, you yeah. know, for me, that's why basketball was very, very important for me um, growing up throughout my life and my career because it was literally something that gave me a mental break. You know, these kids play so many baseball games throughout the spring and summertime, and then you play in the fall season, you didn't play the 100, 130 baseball games at 12, 13, 14, <laughs> 15 years old. And, you know, now it's starting to the point where these 15, 16, 17-year-olds are playing every weekend and you're playing in Florida, California, Texas. You're going to this showcase, that showcase. So you're moving so much. It's like you guys need a mental break. You need a break to, to just be kids. You need a break to just enjoy life and have fun. And I think that's why so many kids now are starting to get burnt out or you see kids having so many different Tommy John surgeries or um, labrum injuries at such a young age because they're doing so much consistently and not giving their bodies a, ten- a chance to rest. And that's very, very important. Yeah. To kind of take it to yourself, obviously, uh, you know, you're wearing a St. John's high school uh, shirt for, you know, the DC area right now. Uh, what really, you know, w- once you got to that level, what, re- you know, how did you really, you know, stand out and, you know, make yourself known to, you know, I mean, you got drafted in the third round of the 2008 draft. So, you know, how did you really make the, you know, how did you really put the, you know, the, you know, kind of the steps together to really, you know, make yourself stand out? Um, I can give a lot of that credit to my supporting cast. Um, you know, all of my best friends, um, we were a group of best friends since we were 10 years old. Um, we're actually still best friends to this day. And so my best friend, um, well, my closest best friend out of all that whole group, we've been friends since we were six. So he is actually, year like, a, we're the same age, but he's just a great older than me. Um, yeah, his birthday's yeah, yeah. like two, three months older than me. Um, so he ended up going to St. John's first. He kind of went there, set the precedence as a freshman. Then Chris Wright ended up playing in Georgetown, um, played in the NBA for a little bit with the Dallas Mavericks. Okay. Um, yeah, so he set the precedence. You know, he was he went in there, um, you know, it was all conference as a freshman basketball player. Um, and then I was coming in, so I was like, for me, it's like, all right, you know, how are you going to make your mark? 
Um, you play baseball, you play basketball. So the road for you is a little bit harder. You know, you got to make your mark, not only in one sport, but now two sports. And then I had another one of my buddies, he played football and basketball. So for him, it was the same thing. So that summer, we just grinded. We were in the weight room all the time. We were just working hard, um, running. And then that's that fall. Um, I really took my, 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 my workouts to that level. I was lifting twice a day. I was lifting in the morning before school. I was lifting after school. I was having, you know, basketball practice, baseball practice. I was eating five or six times a day, drinking two, three protein shakes. And my body really started to change. And then I became so much stronger. So inherently, you know, my skills and my game became a lot different. It really, really took off. So my freshman year, um, I would say I batted third, played center field, you know, made all first team all conference. Um, So that's when I really, really was like, all right, what you've done, what you've done, um, up to this point throughout this whole year, let's keep going because now it's going to take your – you've done a great job laying a foundation, you know, getting to high school. Now you're in high school. Let's take it up. Let's rev it up another notch, and let's try to see how 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 good we can get. Um, and, you know, to my to my credit, I kept that going to probably my senior year. I would say my senior year, I kind of started, like, getting relaxed a little bit just because I was tired, burnt out. Um, I played USA Baseball the year before, then going through those showcases and stuff like that, and then – coming back and playing a basketball season. Once my senior baseball season started and going through the meetings and the value scouts evaluation stuff, I was just really, really tired. And that's why I try to tell people, man, it's important that you get a break. Um, it's important that you get a mental break. And, you know, I think once that happened my senior year, I didn't quite work as hard. So I think that's why I did slip in the draft some, um, you know, just because I, I wasn't, you know, you go, like you had these meetings and tell you, hey, um, LJ, you know, what is your plans going into your senior season? I told everyone I wasn't going to play basketball, one. And then two, I told people that, you know, my goal was to put on 10 to 12 pounds. Well, one, I did play basketball. And two, I lost 10 – I instead of gaining 10 to 12 pounds, I lost 10 to 12 pounds. So Okay, wow. They're looking at me now as, all right, you're not serious about the game. You're not serious about this. So, obviously, now your draft stock drops. And so that's how that happened. But – Still be able to be blessed to be drafted in the third round. Um, yeah. You know, and the Orioles was a hometown team. Yeah, being a hometown team, what was it like to get the call from them? Was that – I mean, I'm assuming that was pretty surreal. Uh, it was awesome because the guy who actually drafted me, Dean Albany, he's no longer with them. He's in Philly now. Um, and Joe Jordan, um, they had – well, Dean Albany had coached me in high school, and he was an area um, Orioles scout. And then Joe Jordan, who's a cross-checker, um, he had came to my house a couple of times and had dinner and – so I was very, very familiar with the Orioles organization. I was very familiar with the guys going to draft me. So once they got the call, man, it was, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was definitely awesome. And crazy story about that is they called me in the morning, and <laughs> they told me, you know, if you're around um, in the second round, we're going to take you. Second round comes around. They call me up in the second round. They're like, "Yo, what's what's the case going to be?" Well, I'm like, "Well, Milwaukee told me they're going to pick me to pick before you guys go." Oh, so. Wow. Yeah, so Milwaukee doesn't take me. So their pick comes around. They don't take me. So they come back around before the third round. I said, look, forget Milwaukee. Y'all just draft me. I'll sign. So that's, <laughs> and that's what happened. <laughs> so, so there, so there was no question on it. If, if you were, if they, if they drafted you, there wasn't even any like anything of saying like, oh, I'm gonna go to college. It was like I am signing on the dot. Uh, it was a very serious question. Uh, my mom had wanted me to go to college. I wanted to go to college. I love North Carolina. Um, with all you my heart, go- I was. Yeah, I was a big UNC fan, big UNC fan. Um, I was – funny story, back to basketball, 96, uh, UNC is playing Texas Tech, 
at Richmond. Um, Darvin Ham breaks the backboard. I'm at that game. So Vince oh, Carter's wow. playing. Antoine Jamison's playing. Um, Allen Iverson them had just played the game before. Um, so yeah, I'm just so I'm heartbroken. But fast forward to fast forward, I always said if I had the chance to go to North Carolina, I wanted to go to North Carolina. And they came and it was like, look, this is where I wanted to be at. This is my dream school. So I want to go there. But um when I once I got drafted, um, I actually found out my mom had breast cancer. So oh wow. Uh, yeah, so it was tough. And being able that the Orioles were here, all of my league teams were local. I'll be able to help out with my mom. I'll be able to be around my family. My sister was in high school at the time. She's played softball, so I'll be able to hear, be here, train with her, work out with her during the offseason. But just also be a mental fortitude because this is here is, is her person that's, you know, her rock that is her superwoman. And she's about to go through chemotherapy, lose her hair, be very weak. So I wanted to be here for my family. And I knew being five hours away, I couldn't have the same impact that I could being an hour and a half away. So a lot of times when I would drive back over um, after night game sometimes, spend the night with them, you know, drive back the next day or after a Sunday day game, drive back over, stay, drive back. So it was a tough the first year. Um, but then once I got to Frederick, you know, I'm, I'm definitely closer. And she got a lot better. Um, our cancer started becoming in remission. So um, that thing became a lot more easier. But it was definitely that first year. And making a decision, it wasn't an easy one because, you know, I definitely, like I said, you you, you sign a contract with, with North Carolina and they're, they're basing a lot when you come into school and here you have is this life situation that you kind of have to deal with. So on one hand, you want to be a kid for a little bit longer, but you got to grow up and make some family decisions. So that's what I yeah. did. Yeah, absolutely. Growing up, you're thrown right into that minor league, you know, kind of situation. I know, you know, I've talked to some guys about, you know, the, about the grind of the minor leagues and that sometimes it, you know, there are some nights where it's just like, not fun whatsoever where you're kind of just like, you know, going from bus to bus, trying to get to different ballparks, everything like that. You know, how was your experience with, uh, you know, being in the minor leagues with the Orioles? Uh, it was different for me because I kind of like told people I've been through that grind in high school. Um, you know, I played on a college with bad team in high school where we played every single day and we were riding buses to different fields. We got to take BP, get dressed in locker rooms. And on the USA team, we're going to third world. We're going to Venezuela. We're going to Mexico. And, you know, you're going to some rough areas. You're going to some places where, you know, the bus might break down. You might have to sit on the side of the road. You might, your bus might not have no AC. Um, you know, food might not be as good as you want it to be. Hotel stays not as good as you want it to be. So once I got that minor leagues, it was just like, all right, we're playing baseball. I've been through it the last four or five years on the circuit, you know, doing different things. So I'm used it, to it. I mean, yeah, it's, it didn't, it's, it's, it didn't it's, phase you in a sense. Yeah, it, like, it didn't really phase me. Like it's it suck. Um, but, you know, but at the at the end of the day, you have your goal. You know, you have your main goal, like the pay. Obviously, we know the pay sucks. We know, you know, the hotel stay sucks. You know, the travel sucks. But it's like, hey, what you going to do? You know, you, you're here. This is the life you chose. This is what you want to do. And no, it's going to make or break you. But again, it makes it that much sweeter once you get to the big leagues because it's like, man, you can look back and say, look, man, do <laughs> you remember that 16-hour bus ride we had to take when our bus ride broke down on our off day and we didn't even get to off day? And then it's like, it makes all that worth it because now you're getting those off days at the big leagues because you're flying everywhere, you know, and you don't have to worry about the food or you don't have to worry about the travel. You don't have to worry about certain things. So, um, But no, minor leagues is definitely a grind. It's definitely a grind. 
Yeah. I, I know I mentioned at the start of the show, some of the major leaguers that you've kind of gotten to share the field with, you know, obviously at that major league level, but you know, even in the minors as well, I, you know, I learned recently that you were, that you were minor league roommates with me and with Manny Machado and Jonathan scope. Uh, what was it like trying to, what was it like seeing those guys and yourself at that young level and, you know, recognizing the talent that, you know, you were, you were around at that point. So for me, it was crazy because it was like, um, here it is. I'm 21, 22 years old. And these guys are, they're 19, 20, and we're all in double A. It's like, you know, they're looking up to me because I, this is my second year there. Like I made a double A at 20. So, you know, they're kind of in my situation. Um, and so they're looking to me like, you know, what should we expect? What should, what's going to happen? What's going to, I'm like, man, sh- y'all are fine. I'm like, bro, Y'all have made it through the jungle. Like, y'all have made it through A-ball. Like, this is a breeze because the travel in this league, Eastern League, is not that bad. Our furthest trip is going to be 10 hours. You know, you've been through the grind where you go to Myrtle Beach. It's, you hit on 95 traffic on Sunday. It's 12, 13 hours getting back. I'm like, you've been to Savannah from Delmarva. It's 15, 16 hours. I'm like, bro, here, it's 10 hours max. Say so we go to, we have a couple of day trips. We go to Richmond. It's an hour and 30 minutes. You go to Harrisburg. It's not that far. You go to uh, Reading, is not that far. Altoona's not that far. Like, it's a great league that you're going to go in. And, like, all you're going to do is face guys that are trying to throw hard because they're trying to get to the big leagues. And you guys like hitting fastballs. So you guys are going to do really well. And <laughs> Manny was there for, what, three and a half months? And Scope was there <laughs> for, what, uh, four months, five months? And they were in the big leagues. So it's yeah. like, I told you guys what it was going to be. Now they're still in the big leagues. So it's, it's great to see them still playing. It's great to see them still there. Um, but, I mean, it wouldn't be – I wouldn't – have been able to give them that credit if you know I wasn't around Adam Jones um for as long as I was around him for um yeah that's and like I, know, big, I, I, know, I know you I know you've kind of considered him as like as kind of like you know like you like you're about to say a big brother of yours you know what what was he what you know how much of an influence did he really have on you kind of coming up I mean I just I just like again I've been always blessed to have you know a, a decent a pretty good circle um of people um around me in each situation like when I went to Baltimore, I was able to be around Adam. I was able, but Adam now connected me to, you know, Cameron Mabrin, Justin Upton, to, you know, Quentin Berry, to Delman Young, to where now I'm becoming so good friends to where myself, Adam, you know, and a couple other guys, Quentin and a couple other guys, we're in a group chat together. And now we talk every single day. And it's like, but we're bouncing off information, we're bouncing off ideas, we're bouncing off what we're going through. So for them, I'm learning through their experiences. So now I'm able to go back and tell other people. So for Adam, it's like, I wouldn't have made it as far as I did and been as successful as I did if it wasn't for a lot of the information he gave me um, as I got to, you know, double A, triple A, the big leagues. I got, I got closer to the big leagues. And then once I got to the big leagues, it was like, I'm literally hitting them up every day. Like, yo, what do I do with this? What do I need to do with this? Because again, when I got to Houston, it was a lot different. Um, and we can yeah. touch on that. We can touch on that. Um, just my time in Houston was a lot different because Baltimore, it's a veteran-related team. So a lot of these experiences I'm going through, a lot of these guys are have already been through. When I go to Houston, it's totally different. It's We're all young bunch. We're all young-minded. We're all, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old. Altuve is young. I'm young. We got Marwin Gonzalez down there. He's young. So uh, I'm trying to think. Robbie Grossman was there at the time. I think, Jared Kozar. I, I, I think you were there with Kike. <laughs> Yeah, Kike Hernandez, uh, Matt Dominguez was there. Then uh, I'm trying to think. Correa came up. We had Singleton. So a lot Michael. of the time, yeah, Kaiko was young at that time in 13. So a lot of us were young. So I'm talking to Adam about how to handle the different situations. 
um, who about these different pitchers, getting information about them. So, um, you know, that first year I did really, really well because of, you know, I was had somebody like him to be able to talk to about different things. And literally, I tell you, I talked to him for about four or five hours before the game. And then I would talk to him after the game for about two or three hours. Yeah. Uh, damn, damn, man. You, I know you brought up a ton of names there. One, the one that did stick out in my mind though, of all of them was Quentin Berry. And mm-hmm. the, re- the reason I say that is because I'm, you know, I'm from the Boston area. I'm actually a big Red Sox fan. Uh, and I remember when he came over to the Sox, I think it was in the waiver deadline, I think is when he came over. And I know that I think he hit a home run on the last game of the 2013 season down at Camden Yards. Uh-huh, he went, I guess the orders, it, uh-huh. Yeah. He went deep for his only home run of the year. I remember seeing him there. I, think they put him in for some pinch uh running situations against the yankees but then i also remember and i went down and i saw him i think it was like when he first got traded over he was with uh you know he was down with the Pawtucket red sox now obviously the worcester red sox but i remember mm-hmm. seeing him get sent down there and you know i think you know he stole second base got ball got overthrown to center and then he took third and you know i just remembered that right off the top of my head so that was kind of a name that you know really jogged some memories for, for a second there yeah, Q's, Q's awesome, man. He's actually uh, the first base coach for Milwaukee Brewers right now. And uh, oh, wow. he's he's one of the best um, base coaches. First, I mean, he's one of the best base stealers I know, but one of the best you know coaches at teaching guys how to steal bases and reading pictures and stuff like that. I mean, the art of stealing bases is crazy because you can change games, and that's what Q did. And, you know, I got a lot of information from him, too, on stealing bases, uh, on even outfield player, how to position yourself and – how to attack ground balls, how to drop step, stuff like that. Um, so like I said, I was definitely fortunate to have you know, a great group of friends throughout my career who I can still call friends to this day. Yeah, I think uh, I have a poster back there of uh, it's like the Red Sox 2013 like World Series. And there's like a like a portion of the huddle. And I think you can actually see Quinton in his number 50 jersey, like in the middle uh-huh. of that huddle over there. I think I got that when I was like 13 years old. It's not hard to miss him. He has got a long neck. I call him Baby Giraffe. Okay. Yeah, baby, I call giraffe? Him baby Giraffe. Uh-huh. And that's okay. all he he always mentions that. He always calls it. Yeah, I got a, I got a ring. You and Adam don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's tough. That's tough. All right. But yeah, no. So you were talking about uh, you know, getting over to Houston. Obviously, uh, you know, that was pre- that was pretty huge, uh, you know, when you ended up getting traded over there for Bud Norris in 2013. Uh, it wasn't just obviously you who went there, it was also Josh Hader who was in A ball at the time in the Orioles system. Did you ever have any con- did you ever like really know Josh at the time before you got sent over there? Yeah, so in the all season, um, you know, one thing about good about being local, me and Josh both were local. Uh, okay. We used to train, train together at the uh, Orioles Stadium. So we would run into each other from time to time, stuff like that. Um, I didn't really have the best relationship with them. You know, it was like more of like a passing high and by. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I definitely would see him around the facility. Um, knew sense. of him. Knew of him. Um, the same guy drafted me, drafted him, so told me about him and how he's coming up. I, I always heard he had a live on from the left side and, now you see it, so um, he does. It's 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 crazy because I always we always talk about this trade and me and me and a couple of the guys and talk about whether it benefited the Orioles or not. And I always try to give them trash. I'd be like, man, you could have had Hater and me still, and you know, you guys got Bud Norris and still did the same thing. And he was like, well, you know, we probably wouldn't have got it there if we had you guys. And I was like, yeah, you might not have, but we'll see. But yeah, it is history it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I I remember that deal for somewhat very vividly because I remember them talking about 
you know, there was a lot of like discussion at the time about Bud Norris and, oh, where is he going to be going to, you know, like some teams down the stretch. And I remember when he got traded there, it was like, you know, pretty big news at the time. And I think what made it big news, obviously, is that, you know, the Orioles and the Astros were playing each other at the time. So you guys got to just kind of walk across the field and kind of just assume, you know, your new team. For yourself, what was it like just getting the call anyways that, you know, of it being like, hey, I'm traded now. What what was that like? It was crazy. Actually, it wasn't even a call. Um, we were, let's see what happened. Let me tell you this story. So I was staying with Adam at the time. Um, okay. And um, we had went to the Beyonce concert the night before. Um, Beyonce played in, in D.C. So we went to the concert, <laughs> got back home. And Adam was like, man, hey, you want to, um, you should probably pack your stuff up. You're probably going to be leaving tomorrow. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, just, you're probably going to be leaving tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, you're joking, right? Like, you're joking, right? So he's like, no, nah, just be ready. Go get some sleep, though. So go to bed, get up the next morning, we'll watch the MLB Network. And MLB Network, it's really talking about the trades. It's talking about the potential of where Bud Norris is going to go. At the time, the Astros were the worst team in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, Bud Norris and Justin Maxwell were the only two kind of veteran guys they had that people were looking at to get for trades. Yeah. So, um, but I was having a pretty good year that year. The Orioles needed another another starter. Um, so at that time, I'm not thinking they're still. Gonna, I don't think they're going to trade me. They're still doing pretty well. They have their starters. They have you know Jake Arrieta in minor leagues at the time. A couple other guys in minor leagues that are pretty good. So I'm like, I honestly don't think they're going to trade me. Like they got some good arms down there. Well. Long story short, I get to the field. I'm taking B, I'm going to take BP. I'm sitting down. MLB network flashes across the board, and they were like breaking news. And it was literally three fifty nine and fifteen seconds, and it said LJ Hose. Well, Bud Norris has been traded to the Orioles for LJ Hose and Josh Hader. So that's how I found out. Then um, the media people, everyone came in. They started talking. Well, they came in for a second, and then Buck called me, called me into his office. And then uh, him and Dan Duquette talked to me for a little bit and then uh, went back, talked to the media, packed my stuff up, went across. I went from batting ninth with the Orioles to playing left field. I went in, went to the Astros. I was batting second playing right field. And oh, wow. that's what happened. Yeah. And that's how that happened. As a Red Sox fan, that's hit that's hitting very uh, eerily close to the situation with Christian Vasquez right now and how that whole situation ended up down in Houston. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, difficult for you guys <laughs> yeah that's it's not great <laughs> we'll see how things go down the stretch but no uh, actually uh dan duquette too i know obviously had had some time with the red sox as a gm over there too so uh you know just like how you know how did you really just process it though of being like i'm traded like like when did it really hit for you that like i'm gonna i'm playing for another team now was it when you were trying on that houston astros jersey for the first time when did it really hit home with you that i'm not going to be in baltimore all the time anymore um, it didn't hit home till I got home that night and I cried like a baby. Um, you know, just because there was so many emotions that went on, um, throughout, you know, me, that journey. Um, it's my childhood team. You know, I've been at the stadium. I've dreamed of playing in the stadium. I've dreamed of playing in this field. I've dreamed of playing in front of my friends, family, and, you know, making my, like, really, really like making a name for the Orioles and winning a championship there. It's like, all right, well, none of that's going to happen. Like none of that's going to happen. So it's like now you have to put those feelings aside. Um, my parents and everyone's come to the game. 
So after that, I had to tell them that, you know, they're coming to the game, tell them change uniform, change tops, change all that type of stuff. So that's the emotion in itself. Yeah, I saw an article about that where where they said they had to change up some of their Orioles stuff and just find whatever blue and orange they could around the house. They could because um, actually we had a suite at the time um, and they wouldn't let them wear any Astros gear in the in the uh, suite. So they had to scramble around and find some orange and blue stuff. So those were one of emotion. And then, you know, having to come home and, you know, all your friends and family at the game is like, man, how you, like, and it's just like, you're trying to be strong after the game and be like, man, I'm not affected. I'm not this, that, and the third. But it's really like, yo, this is like a whole, whole change, like, that you're not expecting. And, you know, you got to go home, pack up, got to start looking for places for in Houston and this, that, and third, because you're leaving the next day. You know, you're getting ready to go to another city. So it's, it was a lot. It definitely was a lot trying to fit in all those goodbyes in one night and trying to pack and everything like that. So, it was a lot. And I still had clothes and stuff at Adam's house. And it was like I said, it was just a it was a lot to deal with. So um, but you know, once I got down in Houston, um it, it really sat in like, all right, this is reality, bro. Like you're here. Like it's time to buckle it up, put your big boy pants on, and play some baseball. Yeah. You know, obviously you you get into that uh, you get into that Houston Astros clubhouse and you know, like you said, you guys were all very, very young at the time. It was uh, you know, you guys like guys like uh Jose, uh, you know, Springer uh jd kike some of those guys that you mentioned and i'm mentioning uh kike and those guys since you know red sox fan i know that's mm-hmm. mostly so i know that's mostly some of my base here so i'm doing my due diligence with that but uh you know w- what was it like seeing those guys you know before they you know like reached the height of you know jose winning mvps and guys like doing that you know how did they how were they you know personally uh when you first met them oh those are my dogs those are my guys i mean even um to this point, to this day, you know, it's it's all love with them. Um, you know, I see them at weddings, talk to them sometimes on, you know, Instagram, through the phone. So it's awesome. Um, but, you know, I just, crazy thing is, before I got traded over in, 20, in 2013, 2012, I played in the Arizona Fall League, and I played uh, one of the teams that, you know, they how they mix each other together. They put, like, four organizations yeah. together. Um, so one of the teams, one of the organizations that was with us was the, actually the Astros. So, oh, wow. um yeah, so I was with Springer, I was with Cozart, I was with Singleton. Um, so um, it was great. I was I was around them every single day. Um, we hung out every single day. Um, so I got to build a great friendship. But then once I got to Houston with everybody being so young and, you know, you had uh, Altuve, whose locker was beside mine. So that bond instantly, that bond instantly clicked. Marvin Gonzalez, his locker was on the other side, beside Altuve, but they were best friends. And then Robbie Grossman, I played on the USA team with, so we were good friends. Cozart, I knew from Fall League. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was there that was young. I mean, Keiko was young. So, you know, we all gelled and meshed in pretty well. And then, I mean, if you're playing well, as I did that first year, I mean, it's not hard for people to kind of accept you and kind of, you know, bring you in and, and, and start talking to you a little bit different. So, you know, once I got down there, I started playing pretty well. You know, it became um, a lot easier. Um, to to get adapted but first you know if it wasn't for Altuve and some of the other guys like Robbie um, and I, obviously Brett Overholter too um, you know we we all hung together and you know we kind of formed a great tight click and you know we grew um, that year it was rough going through that year a bunch of young guys going and losing that many games as we did um, and 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 still having the, the wherewithal and to come out and, and the grit to fight every single day and I mean if you look back at a lot of those games we were winning late it's just you no, know, we lost them late. So, and it happens in baseball sometimes. So, you know, kind of built that foundation for the years to follow. And once they got, 
you know, their success, you know, seeing them grow from where we were to where they got to, it was, it was awesome to see. It was awesome to see. Yeah. It was definitely a, definitely some great stepping stones for, you know, what was to come for that organization. Um, you know, obviously you talked about Adam Jones and the, you know, the impact he had on you in Baltimore. Obviously I'm not saying that there's a comp for that for Houston, but if there is one guy down there that you could really say was your guy, who would that be? Um, probably Tony Sip. He came, okay. um, he came in 2014, yeah. um, like beginning of the year, 2014. Um, again, he was like that. We were all younger guys down there. So Tony was like the first, you know, we got some older guys in the off season, like Dexter Fowler. Um, we had a couple other guys. Chris Carter was another guy that was down there. Um, he kind of brought me into, um, but Tony, Chris and myself, the next year really hung together and we really, really. Um, Tony really showed me the ropes, really showed me about like getting prepared for games and making sure that I was getting some rest on the road. And Chris had an awesome year that year. So you know, Chris Carter was a dog, man. He could, <laughs> could hit the ball a country mile. That year, he he went off that year. So, you know, I just remember going out, get, getting um, to the cities early and going out to team dinners, you know, finally had a little bit of veteran presence. So it was good seeing being around those guys. And, you know, Dex took us out to eat some time and time. But my main guy definitely was Tony Sipa for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and then Singleton, Singleton too. That's my, that was like my little brother. I can tell okay. you that Singleton was like my little brother. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, obviously you really, you know, played obviously more in Houston than you did in Baltimore, you know, just based on the numbers, but uh, you know, what was probably your biggest like welcome to the MLB moment? Like once you were down there, when you realized like, Oh shoot, like this is like that next level. Like what really was that moment for you? Um, I didn't, to be honest, I never really had a moment like that. Um, okay. For me, it was like was there, ever, felt, was there ever a guy you faced at like the I, plate, baby? I always felt like I belonged. So for me, it was like I always had that confidence. Like, yeah, I, I'm just as good as all y'all out here. Like, ain't, ain't nothing, anything you can do, I can do. Whatever y'all can do. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's obviously, there's certain moments, there's certain things where it's like, all right, I could tell you, like, Mike Trout hit a home run one time um, against us, and it was like, bro, how do you hit that ball? Like, there's no way how do you hit that ball and hit it out for a home run. Or you can say um, facing Chris Sale. Like, Chris Sale, I mean, there's – I can tell people to this day, like, Chris Sale is probably the toughest guy I faced. And it's usually everyone says for a righty hitting a lefty, it's easy. I could not hit him. I could not. Oh, he yeah. was very, very long. His arm was – you know, he had long arms. was out to the side. You know, he was 92 to 96, 97, 100 some days with that slider. And it was disgusting. The slider would start behind – Sometimes I remember looking behind our first baseman, first base coaches like back because that's how far a slaughter would go. I would seem like it go out and break back into the plate. It's just oh like, my God. No, nah, I mean, it's like certain guys do certain things that are abnormal. I mean, you might see like Miguel Cabrera, like him, he's just a hitting abilities. It's abnormal. Um, no, Jordan yeah. Alvarez, the way how far he can hit baseball is abnormal. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain things you'll see. But like, again, like I said, for me, it was just like, hey, I belong here. And I might not hit the ball as far as you guys, but. I can do some things that are special too. No. Yeah. I, I, I know with Chris sale, like, you know, all the respect to Manny and he was your roommate. I know, he, but I know Chris sale did turn him into the letter K in the world series. So I know that I know how dirty that can be. Yeah. Yeah. It was rough. It was that rough is, a bet. That's crazy. Uh, you know, obviously uh, you know, you played a good, you played a good amount of time down in Houston uh, in 2014 and 2015, you changed your number from number 28 to number zero. What led you to do that? What made you, what made you, uh, you know, what, were you assigned that number that year? Or what really, what made you? No. So I uh, actually was very, very, 
Um, I never, well, I tell people this story. Not too many really people know this story. Um, so I started the year wearing 28. I was the opening day right, opening day right fielder that year. Um, mm-hmm. Ended up, uh, hit a home run that day off CC opening day. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, long story short, I was probably hitting about 230. Halfway, well, probably halfway through the season, probably third through the season. They ended up sending me down and Singleton signs his contract. Well, when Singleton signs his contract, they give him my number 28. Okay. So once he did that, they did that. Once I got called back up, I got called back up probably like three, two, three weeks later. I was like, they were like, what number you want? I was like, well, just give me zero at this point. I was like, I mean, that's how I feel. You guys value me. as It's just like you gave my number back after I started opening day for you guys. And it's like, that's crazy. So just give me zero. So it ended up. So it was like it, a, so it was almost it was almost like you you were kind of like throwing shade at them with that. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, to okay, be honest. Wow. And um, it took off. Like it actually like took off. It like really, really. I got zero. And um, you know, the crazy thing is, I love Gilbert Arenas and Gilbert Arenas. You know, kind of you know, agent zero, he, baby, agent zero. There you go. And you know, get, agent zero does some things. You know, some petty stuff too when he gets pissed when he gets mad. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like you know what, I'm gonna reach back and it'll be like agent. What would agent zero do right here? So you know, yeah. what I say I'm I'm aware of zero, so yeah. zero hoes, boom, and it, it just took off, and then my jersey ended up becoming the number one selling jersey in the MLB for a period of like a long period of time that year. Yeah, so it was it was pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember being you know like 13, 14 years old, and I was like I was watching it, and I remember just like seeing someone wearing the number zero, and it was like so like I I, I remember it was it actually caught me off guard when I was younger, like I had never seen anyone in the MLB actually wears zero. You see it you know, all the time in basketball. Uh, actually, honestly, that's probably pretty much it. You don't really see it in hockey or I mean, really never in football. So yeah, it, it, like seeing it in baseball for the first time, it really like caught me off guard. I think the next time I saw it again was uh, Brandon Phillips wore it when he came over to uh, the Sox in 2018. But other than that, like you were the first Stroman guy that I saw. Wore, yeah, yeah, I wore after after I wore it, like guys started wearing it. You know, Stroman wore it, Phillips wore it, a couple other guys wore it. So I, I, some other guys, I've seen some other like pitchers wear zero. So I like to take credit for that. I like to say, like, I start the wave. Yeah. yeah. I like to say, I start the, start the, the wave for zero for baseball players. No, 100%. Because I had never seen it up until then. I was like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, this is sick. Ah, oh, dang. But that's actually kind of, that's, that's very interesting as, as to, as kind of re- like realizing that. But I give, uh, I give, I give Adam Jones the, the, the one arm sleeve, like Alan Iverson. I give okay. it to Adam. I give it to Adam Jones, and then you can give the zero to me. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, for for yourself, obviously, you, there's probably some great memories for yourself. Maybe like your first major league home run or getting that start opening day for the Astros. What is your, probably your favorite memory that you have from your time uh, in the majors? Um, there's two. All right, there's two. Um, Feel free. <laughs> it's crazy. First one's against Boston. Um, okay. Not too many people know this story. So I get called up um, and they called me in the office. I'm going to leave AAA. Uh, we're playing in Rochester, New York. So mm-hmm. they called me in the office like, look, hey, um, go back to the hotel, pack your stuff up. You're going, your flight is leaving Rochester at 7. This is, at, this is probably like 3.30, 4 o'clock. Like your flight's leaving at 7, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Flight leaves at seven I'm from Rochester. I'm gonna fly. I started flying from Rochester to Baltimore. I'm flying from Rochester to Cincinnati, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio to Baltimore. Well, I get to Cincinnati, Ohio, and my flight 
gets delayed, gets oh, canceled, geez. actually. It gets canceled in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I ended up having to spend the night in Cincinnati, Ohio. I have to catch up the first flight out in the morning. Get to Baltimore. I probably, it's a one o'clock game. I get to Baltimore at like nine. Go straight to the field, check, uh, change my clothes, whatever. We're playing Boston. John Lester's on the map. Oh, so, <laughs> so crazy thing is I'm playing left field. Left field in Norfolk was huge. If ever in Norfolk, Norfolk's a huge stadium. Well, Baltimore, it's really, really short at the time. Really, and left center field is like 360, down line is 330. Norfolk is like 400 to left center field. So, <laughs> Big Poppy hits a ball, and I'm thinking I got a bead on it. And I'm thinking I'm going to run back and get it. And I'm running, 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 running. And next thing you know, I turn, and I smack the wall. Oh, and wow. I, the ball's in, in the bullpen. Like, the ball's in the second bullpen. I smack the wall, and I fall down. Well, they didn't, the camera no one shows this. If Markakis is in right field and Adam Jones are in center field, they're looking at me, and they're busting down laughing. Because they saw me just go full board from this ball and smack myself. I'm laying on the ground, glasses everywhere, hats down, and I get up and they're just dying laughing at me. Dying. So that's my first one. Second one was Oakland. Um, Oakland, I, I always played well with Oakland because Oakland, they talk trash to me. Um, and why, why, I, Oakland? why Oakland? Why Oakland? This was our rival. Oakland was good at the time. Okay. Um, and this is when they were starting to be packed. You know, this is okay, Oakland. Yeah. when oh, they're rowdy, yeah. rowdy, rowdy. Yeah, this is when they're true, rowdy. True. It's Donaldson and all of them are there. So it's rowdy. Um, I ended up, I was getting, people were talking trash to me um, the whole game. And I ended up hitting a uh, game winning, and I didn't walk off. I hit a home run, extra innings to win the game. And I remember I got to be out there, go out there, talk so much trash to them. And it just felt good because. They had been wearing me out the whole game because my last name was Hose, so they had been wearing me out. No, I was I can't really say that in the back, but after that point, I, I was I was I was I was letting them have it at that point. Yeah, I, I was about to say it was probably you were probably like ripping into them at that point. Oh yeah, yeah, it was. It was saying some some, some bad things. Then, <laughs> uh, you know what? Fair enough. If they're ripping you that at that point, you deserve a you deserve a little you know time to get back at it. Yeah, uh, we won too, so that was the best part. Exactly. So you got to, you know, you got to have the last lap there. Exactly. Uh, so obviously uh, you ended up having the chance to go back to the Orioles, uh, you know, on a minor league deal back in 2016. Uh, you know, how did that kind of arrangement come out, come back when they, you know, reached out to you with the interest of, you know, you rejoining the team after the 2015 season? Yeah, they traded back. They traded back for me. Um, Houston put me back on waivers. They traded back for me. Um, the conversation that actually came about, um, probably in August. Yeah, August, because Adam was getting married. Um, Buck Walter was there, and um, Adam's mom, may she rest in peace, was talking to Buck and was like, yo, I need you to get my boys back together. I need you to get my boys back together. So that whole offseason, I ended up, well, I ended up getting released in November. I got put on waivers in November. Orioles traded for me. Um, and then there you go. Get back, and I'm back with the Orioles, and um then before spring training they ended up putting me on waivers i cleared waivers and then they asked me that i want to resign and i ended up resigning just because i have familiar with norfolk familiar with the place um i had a young daughter um and a fiance at the time so it was very very easy for us uh, we were all familiar with the area so just going back there we had family in here so it was just a easy easy smooth transition yeah i know i know i uh you ended up I know that that deal it didn't end up working out as uh who did you guys bring in at the time? I'm looking at it now. It was Efren Navarro. 
Yeah, so it was Efren Navarro. Yes, yes. That's yeah, who so, I got a designated for. Yeah, so he, so you end up getting designated, and I see that you sent out a tweet to uh, to Adam Jones, and it was uh, maybe next time uh, what you yeah. sent out to him. So obviously, you know, when, when you got designated, you know, you know, did you kind of feel like at that at that point that, you know, things were kind of, you know, fading out or, you know, wh- what was your mindset at that time? Um, I thought I was going to resign somewhere else. I really wanted to resign somewhere else, but it's the nature of the business. Um, and my agent at that time was going through um, another arbitration hearing with somebody else. So I okay. couldn't really, really designate as much time to me as he possibly could. So looking back on the situation, hindsight, should I resign with Baltimore? Probably not. Um, just because they had just released you. So obviously I'm not high on their depth chart. So re-signing there and going back there wasn't the, the smartest decision. Um, but I had a really good spring training. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up, you know, making it to, you know, one of the last cuts of spring training. So, um, you know, yeah. they then went down to Norfolk and the situation was down Norfolk was, you know, they had two guys that were on a 40-man roster in the outfield. So they had to play. Now, Xavier Avery and myself, they want you guys. We had to play because obviously, you know, we both were, on the cusp of making the roster. So you had four outfielders that had to play. So it was rough. It was tough. So, and the situation wasn't the best, but we made the best out of it. And, you know, I was grateful for them bringing me back and, you know, give me opportunity to still continue to play the game that I love playing. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I see, I saw that you ended up playing until 2018, uh, you know, with, with some baseball for yourself after that, what made you, you know, when did you come to the conclusion that you were going to, you know, take that step away as a player? Um, honestly, I just got tired. Um, you know, for me, it just was to a point where if you look at my numbers, I've hit at every level, um, you know, made all-star teams at every level, done what I needed to do. It's just like, you know, I always wanted that one opportunity to play in the big leagues consistently. And I got it. And I felt like I had done my, I played well enough to get another opportunity. And I just never got that other opportunity. So it was like at this point in time, you know, for me, I was just tired. I was frustrated. Uh, now looking back high in sight, 2020, I mean, through your journey, through your path, you're always going to go through bumpy roads. It's part of the baseball. It's part of the game of baseball. Um, and, you know, some people know or they know what their goal is. They know what they want to reach to. And, um, you know, they for me, it was just like, yo, I made my goal, made the pinnacle. I've made it to where I wanted to reach it to. Now it's like, you know, I got a young daughter. There's other things in life I can do. There's other things I can do. There's other ways I can impact people. Um, and there's other ways I can be happy. And, you know, being away from my daughter for where, in California for five, six months out of the year is not something I kind of wanted to, I really wanted to do. So, um, yeah. you know, I made the decision to go ahead and go ahead and step away from the game for a little bit and, you know, see where, where it took me, what life yeah. took me next. Yeah. So I know that ended up taking you at this point into coaching. You're now coaching with uh St. James baseball. Uh, you know, it's a youth Academy. I know that you were telling me, uh, and you know, you were kind of telling me about some things there, uh, was coaching always something on the table for you? Did you always re- think that you were going to get into it? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, it just, I didn't know what I was going to do. It was a whirlwind of shock of, you know, being 28 years old and, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to do next. You have this long idea that you're going to play till 40 and you to have all this money, be successful, and you won't have to work a day in your life. But, you know, it doesn't go like that sometimes. So, um, you know, I got into coaching actually through girls basketball, um, okay. through a couple of my boys, my buddies. Um, I was home and not really doing anything. I was training and stuff like that, but I just needed something to do. And, you know, I started going to their practices and started, um, again, just because I had a daughter, I wanted to, you know, learn and see how, you know, young women and how they were growing up in, in my area, especially um, this day and age, you know, technology and everything else now has changed life so much. 
uh, from when we were growing up. So I wanted to be able to make sure I gather as much information as I possibly can from these young women and make sure I can be the best father I can for my daughter. So um, I coached basketball to this uh, this past year, um, even coached at St. John's a little bit. So, you know, being able to make the impact I did with the, the girls I did, you know, I got some kids playing college basketball right now, a couple of kids, well, one girl's at Florida, another one's at George Mason, another girl's at Temple. Um, I got about 30 kids, girls playing college basketball right now that, that I coached. So that's um, awesome. Last, yeah. The last three, four years. So um, I'm just excited to see where they're going to go, where their journey is going to go. And you know, I was, I'm just glad that I was able to, you know, be a part of them because it's made me a better coach and maybe have a better temperament. Um, just understanding you're dealing with a bunch of different emotions at at times when you're dealing with, you know, women. So you now, now taking that to deal with young boys, it's like, yo, you're dealing with a bunch of stuff. You're dealing with these guys in puberty. You're dealing with these kids, you know, going through, uh, sometimes it's hate to say, but bullying at school, um, yeah. different, different things, maybe even bully on a team. So being able to talk to these kids about certain situations, being able to be a mentor, um, you know, that's one of the aspects I love about coaching. And, and I definitely learned that from, like I said, girls basketball. Yeah. And I mean, to see them, you know, to see some of these kids, both those girls and boys uh, go on to have, you know, you know, great careers and, you know, see them really succeed moving forward. How fulfilling is that for you? That's awesome. Cause I mean, I get to see a lot of these girls all the time. Um, you know, I was talking to one of the kids, uh, her name's Ty Skinner. She's at Arizona state now. Um, she's a clothing designer and, you know, oh, being wow. able to, you know, go ahead and, and help support her through her, you know, her NLI journey and, um, in our NIL journey and, you know, through her basketball career and trying to help sell her products and make some money and grow a brand as, as she's playing college basketball. It's awesome to see, you know, these girls do that stuff. It's awesome to see these young men I'm, I'm working with. Um, one of the kids I work with is a shoe designer. Another kid's an IT guy, he does graphic IT. Um, and so it's like just being able to see what these kids are doing and how far they've come um, and how they use the technology and, and just, being able to now apply a lot of that stuff to what we're doing with our, even our business at St. James is, it's awesome. It's like, man, it's, it's crazy to see, but like, man, you played through, you played here, but now I can come to you and get a flyer done. Oh, you played here and I can get, come here, come to you, get like sweatsuits done for my whole team. And it's, it's just awesome. Cause now we're, you know, building a brand and, and helping these kids out who helped us out. Yeah. I think to tie it back, honestly, to, um, you know, you know, we, t we opened the show up talking about, you know, kids in like the little league world series and, you know, all the amazing things that they're able to do at such a young, young age, you know, it's not just in sports, you know, these kids and what they're able to do outside of it. And, you know, whether it's designing clothes, designing shoes, uh, you know, and then obviously athletics as well, it's incredible to see what they've been able to do. And it's, you know, really amazing to see the influence that you've been able to have on their lives. Oh man, appreciate it. appreciate it. Like I said, just. I've been fortunate. Uh, my dad was a coach growing up and I saw it firsthand through him. I saw him, you know, coach football. So I'm coaching my baseball team and the sacrifices he made of, you know, going and pick my teammates up just so we have enough guys to play games. You know, he get off work early, pick me up, go pick three or four of my teammates up and then, you know, drop us off and pick up two more and then come back to make sure we had enough to play and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm very, very fortunate, very appreciative. So that's why I try to go so hard when, with these kids I coach, you know, and it's like, I want to give back all the, all the information, everything I have, I want to give back to you. And if I don't, can't, if I don't have the answer, I'm going to get you the answer because I want you to have the information. I want you to have everything I didn't have because I want you to be more successful than I was. Yeah. 
I mean, LJ, thank you so much for all of this. Like you have been fantastic today. Uh, before we do go uh, down to the wire, I do want to just say, if you guys aren't following down to the wire at this point, what are you guys doing? We're available everywhere. You guys can find podcasts. Uh, we're on all the streaming platforms, Spotify, Google, you know, all those we're on YouTube. If you want to, you know, watch us on video and you can also find all of those links in our Instagram bio at down dot to the wire again at down dot to the wire on the IG uh, LJ. Is there anything you want to shout out personally for yourself uh, before we you know sign off? Yes, please. If you have YouTube, uh, follow um, the Padre Scout team. Um, we have some really, really good talent. Um, we're out of based on North Carolina. Ray Johnson um, is the director. Um, he does a great job. They're affiliated with our St. James uh, program. Um, myself, I coach their 14 team. Ray coaches their uh, 15 team. And then we also have a 13 team um, with our 13 team, 14 team, and 15 team. Perfect game is does like this select fest where it's an all American game. So we had we have about five or six kids in each game. So we're trying to build that. Um, obviously, um, you can follow us on Instagram, the St. James Baseball. Um, you can follow us San Diego San Diego Padre Scout Team on Instagram. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Mister Dot LJ Host to You. Um, again, that's Mister Dot LJ Host to You on Instagram. Um, and yeah, just be on the lookout for us. Um, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. Um, and look forward to doing this again sometime. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we are now down to the wire, which means that we're going to wrap up what we talked about in this episode today and send you guys on your way. Uh, you know, once again, LJ Hose, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, it was a blast to have you. Oh, thank you. This is LJ Hose and down to the wire. Absolutely. Uh, you know, today we talked about uh, we, we talked about LJ's early life. We talked about, uh, you know, his time in the majors. And then we also talked about, you know, what he's doing now after the fact. So uh, it was a great show today. Uh, and we hope that you guys have a great day. Take care and peace out. WJMF Radio.